And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone. It is Thursday, uh, the end of our week here, live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. Jason Hunt here. We are at the super secret underground bunker at World Headquarters in Kansas City. And to end our week, a little bit of fun, I would say, we have Eisner nominee... Creator of the Bean and creator of Life of the Party, Realities of an RPG, or Mr. Travis Hansen joins us. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks very much for for taking the time to talk to us. How uh, how, how are things in your uh, quarantined world? Uh, I don't know. They're kind of like they were before I was, we were in quarantine. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the funny thing. Cause some of us, you know, all of us that are, that are self-employed kind of working for ourselves, not really doing that much. It's not that different. And I'm thinking, well, okay. I, I kind of feel for the people who are having to adjust, but I, should I, should I feel bad that it's not that much different for me? I don't know. So. Well, I mean, there's also a loss. Um, the loss of the shows have really been felt. You know, I, I'll do 15 conventions all over the U.S. a year, and uh, we're not having any this year. So <laughs> yeah. there, there's that bit of an adjustment. But honestly, I mean, where we're at, it's not that bad, and it's just kind of quiet, and we're just one day at a time. So. <laughs> I suppose that's all any of us can do. Uh, let's say hi to Robert in the chat. If you do want to participate in the conversation, the live chat is active for those of you who are watching live. Um, don't have an 800 number for call-in. If you're watching outside of the live part, if you're listening to this on a podcast or if you're watching the replay, you can leave a comment. Uh, or you can send feedback to live from the bunker at sci fi for me com. And so, Travis, let's let's start with the Eisner because that was uh, that was a while back, and you got nominated. How did it feel, and how did it change things if it did? Um, actually, it was kind of a shock. Uh, we were nominated for a, a web comic at the time because that's what Bean was, uh, and kind of still is, and. Um, it kind of validated an original thought that I had, you know, that the way I wanted to do the story originally, you know, Bean had gone through several incarnations and uh, none of them just seemed to pan out. And when I started doing it this way and then we got the Eisner nod, that was kind of a, a reaffirmation that uh, I should have listened to my gut way, way earlier than, than when I did. Um, I mean, my kids were all excited. My wife was excited. It was a neat experience. Um, and, uh, you know, it just kind of, like I said, it just uh, all of a sudden I felt that I was competing or not competing, but I could play with the, uh, with the pros. So what was the inspiration for this? I mean, it's clearly influenced by, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games. Is that, were you steeped in that at the time you were, you were playing or, or somebody mentioned something and the idea started percolating in your head? No, I was doing dishes once and I looked out the window and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I, I hate this. I want to get out and do something else. And I could just imagine this kid in this inn and he didn't want to be in this inn and uh, goes out and, and he gets sent on an errand and he's just a dishwasher and ends up getting pulled into this fantastic adventure. And then I started pulling thoughts and ideas from when I was a teen. Uh, and we would play, you know, the different RPG games, Dungeons and Dragons and such. And, and uh, you know, my love of fantasy. And it just kind of just started to build on its own. Now, the the idea here with uh, with the bean, it's it's somewhat similar to um, 
life of the party. Are they in the same universe? Is this the same same story verse? Are they completely separate? Completely separate. Life of the party was an accident. <laughs> oh, that there's a there's a story there. I'm sure. And, you know, um, you know, being being is a, a huge undertaking, and uh, you know, right now it's kind of sitting. Uh, uh, it's 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 sitting at the moment because there's some developments happening on the back end. That's that's I'm trying to get through. Life of the party was more of a. A couple of years ago, I had run an, uh, one of the many Kickstarters that I got to run, and uh, that one was kind of going downhill at the moment. I, I always believe in a Kickstarter, you should have one bad one. I, I just think it's 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 a good humbling nature because it forces you to ask yourself, um, what can I do better? How can right. I improve it? How can I how can I uh, how bad do I want it? And uh, when I was working with that, I was I was kind of just in a, a dark spot at the moment. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I've got a buddy and he's posting these these cartoons uh, that kind of have this this cutesy Calvin and Hobbes feel in, in Star Wars. And and, uh, you know, he's getting all these hits. And I was a little jealous. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to draw a D&D cartoon just to see what happens. And then all of a sudden I, I did that D&D cartoon. And in the first day, we got six thousand shares. Wow. And I'm like, holy cow, what happened here? And so I thought, well, you know what? Let's try one more. So I did another one and uh, the same thing happened. And then I, I just, all of a sudden I'm doing a daily and uh, it kind of took over. That's, that's been the biggest property I've ever worked on. And, and I can definitely see uh, the Calvin and Hobbes influence here in all of this. It, it does, it does feel like, well, what if Calvin was a little bit older, and what if he played D and D? What would that look like? I, I'm so so. Has has Hobbes shown up as a character at all in this? Actually, um, as much as I want to say, you know, there is a little bit of a Watterson influence, but there's also a very European influence. I love like Asterix, and I love the the European comics, the French um, styles, and and the German styles, and and uh, some of the Italians. They, they do such a beautiful job of, of creating fantasy characters that are um, just kind of animated. Yeah. And, and so there's tons of influences there. Uh, you know, so you'll never probably ever see a Hobbes or a Calvin float through it. it, it it's nice being able to define it as my own. But, but you can definitely see influence of where I've been influenced. Uh, there's probably some Berkeley breath humor that'll show up. Um, you know, a little far side shows up occasionally in my head. Um, some when, pogo. <laughs> when does when does somebody drink the potion that that puts them into a Mobius universe? I don't know. I'll have to figure that one out. <laughs> you know, metal Herland or something like that. Yeah? So now the the influences you're talking about, you know, this was just kind of an off the cuff, just a thing. Where do you get the ideas? Cause it's clearly been running for a while now. I think you're what, up to 600 and something now. Actually we're in the thousands almost. You're in the thousands. So where do the ideas come from? Because it's a um, different thing every day. It's a, it's a different uh, little idea or a big idea. And some of it's gaming and some of it's just kind of real life inside the gaming world. Do, do people give you suggestions? Do you just come up with uh, this stuff all yourself? I get tons of suggestions from people. People like to write me about their adventure and their stories and, and, and such. And occasionally they can sneak in there. Um, usually uh, some of it's from games that I've played over the years. Um, others have been more of a um, just watching life and going, okay, how do I incorporate that into a gaming situation? Because uh, we can all relate. If I can get my mom to laugh at one of the jokes, then I think I'm on the right track. Um, you, you know, I have a on my phone, I write down about seven or eight different taglines each day or, or such. So I've got these taglines and I go, OK, how do I develop that into something more into to something that people can relate to? And I realized that the goal was just to create something fun um, that people could enjoy, uh, whether they're a gamer or not. And the goal was to uh, to just bring a little levity into 
to things. Sure. Now you mentioned that this one kind of took off unexpectedly and you're, and you've been doing stuff with the bean has kind of held up a little bit. Has life of the party eclipsed the bean in terms of popularity? Do you think, or are they oh, all still kind of, yeah, by far. Well, I mean, the difference between bean bean is a black and white cereal and, and, and it's very limited audience. You know, it, it's, it's a niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and where life of the party is a lot more open. Uh, it's easier, you know, it's kind of hard to get into 780 pages worth of story and sit down at your computer and just read, you know, you can buy the books and, 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 and such. Whereas life of the party, you don't have to read, you can read four days and you go, oh, okay, I get it. Or you can read one day and it's st- completely standalone. Now that was the goal. Life of the party has such just a different feel to it that it makes it easier to share. Now, does that mean that uh, if push comes to shove, if you had to make a choice between the two, which one would become the priority in terms of what's the next thing you publish? Because I know you've done Kickstarter collections on on both. Uh, um, is is there one or or let me ask let me ask you this? Uh, let me put it in a different way. Do you like one over the other as a creator? Do you love one child more than the other child? No, I like all my children equally. It's just, where do I get to put my attention? What's feeding my family at the moment? Right. <laughs> you have to look at it that way. Um, and there's stuff happening in the background with Bean. It's it's not over. It's not, I still want to finish that story. Um, I just needed to reevaluate how I was doing it. And uh, some good things have happened. I can't talk about them at the moment. I wish I could. Um, there'll be a couple of announcements hopefully soon. Um, as for running a kick, we'll just say, I don't have to run a Kickstarter for the next bean, uh, that'll be able to run on its own. Whereas life of the party, I'll run another kick or two, you know, to keep going. Now you mentioned that, you know, the crowdfunding is a thing and, and we've seen with, uh, indie comics, especially that crowdfunding has turned, has really taken off. Uh, a lot, a lot of them are using Indiegogo and, and there are a lot using Kickstarter, was there a particular reason why you picked Kickstarter over Indiegogo or was it just at the time Kickstarter was the thing? Cause Indiegogo has seemed to have taken off with indie comics creators here of late in the last couple of years and Kickstarter's having their issues with, you know, staffing and, and funding and they're laying off people. Is there a reason why you went with Kickstarter instead? I like Kickstarter because it's an all or nothing platform. Uh, my struggle with Indiegogo is if you didn't make your goal, I could still keep the money, you know, and, and as a creator, that sounds enticing, but yet you didn't produce a book. So all those people are going, well, if you fell $3,000 short of your goal, um, you know, I would, what happens, you know, you, you're kind of out. Whereas with Kickstarter, I've always enjoyed the, the, it's, you either do it or you don't. And, and so that was the, the case for me. Um, hopefully the, the platforms, both of the platforms, including Patreon, will keep going. I think they're all valuable. I think they all have a valuable um, help to the, to the indie. Um, it's a shame sometimes when, when companies that have money get into those platforms and, and produce um, because it's really, I think, takes away from what they originally started. It was to help creators to, to do their own projects. Right. Now, you, you mentioned uh, publishers and, and bigger companies getting into this. You, we've seen uh, Dynamite has explored this with their different variant cover projects, uh, Alterna Comics uh, doing some different things with crowdfunding. Have you thought about, has there been a discussion about doing any kind of a, maybe a Life of the Party graphic novel or a Bean graphic novel that's a limited page count? Here's the, here's the beginning, end of the story, all in one book? Um, so, so Bean would be more of, kind of think of Bone, kind of esque. It's got an ending, so... Eventually, there'll be an omnibus. Um, as for life of the party, 
I usually will run about a 120 in a book, 120 pay, uh, cartoons in a book. And I think the next one, I want to double it just to get, because I'm, I'm so far, I have like 10 books drawn and it's just sitting there. And, and for me to run a book, it costs, you know, my production costs are about seven to, to 10,000, um, depending on how many we bring in. Um, and we order from China and we bring it, you know, we, we work that way. They seem to do a much better publishing job, um, uh, for us than, than, uh, and I get better customer service too, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is a shame. Now I notice here on the Kickstarter for, for book three, uh, it ended in March of 2019. How close are you to the book being done and ready to ship? So or that it? book's. That book's already shipped. Okay. That book's out and stuff like that. The only thing that I've got to finish is I have 15 original pieces that I have to finish drawing. And I just haven't done that. And that's just for 15 individual people. Now, does does Life of the Party, do you think that it would lend itself to a longer narrative arc? Or is it best as this family circus type of single panel pieces? I'm exploring some longer uh you know, that's the cool thing about web comics and stuff is we can explore. And so I have, you know, I, it's mainly single pages, but in the last month I've been exploring with panels just to test it out, just to see if I like it. Um, and I've got a, a sequence that's actually coming up in the next week or so. That's going to be about, you know, a little bit of a continue, but I, I kind of want to jump back in between both. I think both are valuable. Um, Cause there's moments where I have that one idea and I like, I don't need, six panels to tell that 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 joke whereas the other ones i want to see some of the characters develop a little bit more now where are you getting your characters are these people that are inspired by characters from other stories or people in real life are you tuckerizing anybody in here or <laughs> there's a couple people that have ended up in the strip um there's a lot of cameos that end up of other people's players you know which is fun but the, the basic core group is, is set up as uh, some of them are people that I know, some of them are characters that I might have played, um, and a couple are uh, uh, some, some intimate friends that don't realize that they're in the, in the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way. Yeah. I don't tell anybody that. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, how, how long have you been uh, gaming in, in D&D and, and role-play? And what, what is your role-playing game of choice at the moment? Well, so I started playing in 82. I was 11, 11 or 12. And uh, I love D&D. Um, but I, I also like um, a lot of the other smaller games, the offshoots that came out in the 80s. They mm -hmm. have one called Gangbusters, which was awesome. Uh, we enjoyed Top Secret. We played Gamma Worlds, uh, Star Frontiers, but I, I always struggled with uh, that. There wasn't enough. To, uh, I didn't like the, the class characters that you could be. I wanted something more. Yeah. Uh, whereas Gamma Worlds, I love the I love that whole world. That was kind of crazy. Um Right now, I don't get to play as much because I'm working a lot. Uh, I'm finishing a new monster manual for uh, another company. Uh, I'm working on five games for different people, uh, a couple of comics. So there's a lot going on. So I don't get to play as much as I used to. And uh, But if you would say what was my, my game of choice, it would probably be right now 5th um, edition. I remember starting with D&D in summer after fifth grade. This would have been 1980. Okay. Uh, and then my cousin and I spent a whole lot of time with Car Wars. Um, oh, I remember else. that. <laughs> and I remember thinking there, there wasn't enough to it. Car Wars, looking back on it, Car Wars seemed, seemed to have so much more potential than what you actually got out of the game. But those were the two that, that we did. Uh, quite a bit. I've done Starfleet Battles. Uh, Top Secret was another one. Um, has, over time, and now we're starting to see with uh, with Wizards of the Coast making some, some decisions about, you know, what they're going to call characters. And, you know, we had this whole big blow up about the orcs here not too long ago. Ha Speaking as somebody who's played the game for a very long time, have you noticed... 
any kind of, of change in the evolution of the game? Has it gotten better? Has it just gotten different? Has it gotten worse? Is it about the same? What what how does oh. how does how does D and D now compared to D and D back then? Do you think? I I think there's um, you know whatever you whatever kind of icing you're going to put on the cake, the cake's still the cake, and you know and I I I think that for all the the changes, you know, a, a company can change whatever they want. And I think some of the changes are for the better because usually when I write or create fantasy stories, I don't look at um, good and evil. I, I believe everybody's a shade of gray, you know, so I want to keep that in there. Even my monsters have that kind of shade of gray to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think people that play the game are still going to play it any way they choose because that's the way the game has been created you know um you have and it's funny to watch because you have those that are like well i'll never play this way or you you know we won't allow this at my table or or and that's fine and then you have others like oh yeah we go out and we do this and we play this and and so i think that um you can't force a, a change on people uh, because people are still going to play the way that they feel that they want to play the game. Sure. Uh, but you can, you know, enhance the rules, fix the rules, change the rules. Um, you know, some additions are better than others, uh, which is definitely true. Um, and, and I think everything's going to go through an evolution. You know, in 10 years from now, I think the game will go through another evolution. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, I have no idea. Uh, my thing is, is I just like it for its storytelling ability and I'm able to pull thoughts and ideas and, and generate content because of that. Now, do you prefer to be a player or a dungeon master? Uh, um, I don't mind DMing because I like creating. And, and the cool thing about what, what I get to do, I design my own monsters. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm constantly going, okay, this is new. I can put this in there. Um, and, and I think one thing I would love to see is more material that would allow for customizable play, you know, let you create the monsters that people run into, or you create what level they are, or you treasure them as you choose and stuff like that. Um, my issue sometimes with the campaigns are they're very straightforward you know, this is what's in the room. This is, and I want to, I like changing it up. So if I can change it up, I'll change it up. So I do like to DM. Uh, when I was younger, I loved to play. Uh, sometimes the hard thing though was, and this was back in the eighties, was finding people to play with. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember that. <laughs> uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat asks, uh, have you ever played Champions or Paranoia? Um, neither one, but I hear their, I hear paranoia is awesome. <laughs> uh, Mr. CCDV, I prefer to be a player as long as there is a good DM that, that seems to make a difference though. I mean, if you've got a dungeon master that really knows his stuff or her stuff, depending on, you know, who's, whoever is running the game, that seems like you're saying it really makes a difference in the quality of that game. Because if you've got somebody who's just, you know, going through the motions or very bland and, and straightforward and just the nuts and bolts, the experience of the game is quite different than if you have a storyteller as a DM, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, very much so. I think that there's a huge difference. You know, I think there's some people that, that can DM really, really well. And then I think there's people that get thrown into being a DM that really just don't have a choice. It's, it's like, who wants to do it this week? All right. It gets to be you. <laughs> And, and I think the other thing that, that really helps is being able to pull your emotions out of it. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I've been in a game like this where the DM gets very vindictive mm. or frustrated or, or whatever. And it, and it makes the game not fun. And, uh, or, you know, when a certain player has become vindictive or angry or whatever the reason is. And then they start to sabotage whatever, you know, right now they might be playing true to the character, but some people can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing too, is you get into these situations where sometimes you get people that have known each other for a very long time 
And if there's any kind of a, a, of a personal issue outside, out in real world land, and they bring that into the game, I mean, I've seen entire entire campaigns just completely fall apart because there suddenly becomes this argument, this rift between one or two of the players, and then now the whole thing just kind of blows up. I would hope that that's not common, uh, but like you say, it's it's the it, it, when people start bringing in their personal baggage into the game, mm-hmm. that makes it absolutely no fun. Has any of that made it into your stories? Oh, definitely in the life of the party. <laughs> There's always personal baggage in life of the party, but that's what makes it fun. Sometimes people don't realize, you know, when you're gaming with with a group of people, you talk about real world all the time. You're not so you're not always sunk in your game. Things creep in, you know, life creeps in. Um, and I think there's 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 almost two kinds of, of playing groups. You have a very serious group. It's got to be perfect and numbers and, and you're just so immersed. And then you have a casual group, you know, they just they're there to just play and experiment and try it out and have fun. And sometimes those two groups, cra- you know, clash. They can't figure out where the balance is no. because not everybody wants to play super serious and not everybody wants to to play very casually and crazy well and 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 nowadays too the the fact that you you're it's so hard to get a a group together in the first place uh you know your odds of getting that kind of a mix are are pretty good you're going to get those those hard liners and and the casual ones in the same thing have you had trouble? You you mentioned back in the day it was hard to find people. N- nowadays, how often do you actually get to play a game, and do you have a regular group, or is it still? Now, I'm pretty those? isolated right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped my kids learn how to play, and now they run groups uh, in college. So all I do is I just give them material. I'll send them maps. I'll send them monsters. I'll send them different things, and then they can do whatever they want with it. Um, I I kind of. <laughs> Out where I'm at, there's really not much out here, and I haven't jumped into the online playing scene yet. It, it to me, it's just not as um, I don't know. I haven't. I, I I'm just very old school <laughs> <laughs> in that nature. But um, yeah, well, right you, now you could be this monolithic DM on the screen and 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 run the game remotely and let other people play. Right. Uh, and that's a time issue for me. Yeah. You know, right now it's it's just kind of like, okay, what am I working on right now? And that's always hasn't that always been the case? You know, it was because oh, I got homework, or I got this test coming up, or I got this project, or I got to you know do something with the kids. You know, as you get older, the it gets the, harder. It gets harder, but I mean, it's always it's always been a challenge to get enough people together for a good quality game because of everything that's going on. You know, baseball practice or or whatever. Well, we've we've realized that sometimes it's hard to get into a three to four hour game. So I'm also um, and I don't I mean, I love playing role playing, but I also like other games out there. I I love like quick card games that I can play. I like looking for different kinds of adventures. So we just started playing Trash Pandas. Um, (laughs) I got in a I've got a, a 12 year old at home with her mom and dad. So there's only three of us in the house at the moment. So we'll sit there and we'll play for an hour or two and then I can get back to wherever I'm working on and they can get back to, to what they are. Uh, my wife's getting ready for her master's program and, and my 12 year old's just getting, you know, one day at a time and, uh, of non-social life. Yeah. And <laughs> so we kind of have to, to play and I still have to work. I still have to create. Um, so it gets harder and harder right now to play even more. Uh, than when it was. Um, now, is this your full-time gig now doing this, or you have something else? I'm a freelance illustrator, so I'm always working. So I've been doing this for 20 years. Well, actually, a little over than 20 years. And, okay, so besides The Bean, Life of the Party, what else are you working on right now that, that we can tell people about? Well, I, I just... Um, so I'm working on my third uh, Monster Manual, 
for uh, Kawad Publishing, and it's called Sins and Virtues. And so they took a city setting and they broke it into seven districts, and each district is run by a sin, and it's countered by a virtue. So the monsters that live in those districts represent or come from that. It's, it's been pretty a wild gig. Um, and then they want to do another one after that. Uh, I'm just finishing up the art for another game called uh, Goblin Taskmaster, which has been really, really fun. Uh, I'm waiting for corrections on that. Uh, there's another game I did that was, uh, I just finished the cover art. Uh, it's for, uh, uh, it's like poker fishing. <laughs> it's really interesting. You know, I, I love seeing stuff come across my table. Yeah. Uh, I did, uh, I did all the, I redid all the artwork for Texas Hold'em with zombies. Oh, that uh, <laughs> it's a blast. Um, and then I did, uh, another one where I'm working on the artwork for, uh, they just did a Kickstarter and it funded and we just finished the artwork. It's called the ghost betwixt. It's a role-playing game set in the nineties. Uh, so it's got a cool theme to it. So I get a lot of projects that come through my desk. I've got three books that are sitting waiting to be started. Um, so I, I work quite a bit and I think what I've done is I've compensated for the loss of shows by filling up my work schedule even more. <laughs> now, all of these projects are, are role-playing game related. Are you, are you doing anything in the comic book space or any other kind of illustrations or are you focused specifically on one kind of work? You never focus on, well, the art of success in, in anything, actually, especially in illustration, is never focus on one thing. If you only have one stream of income, you end up actually putting yourself in a situation that's quite dangerous. If that stream dries up, you've got nothing. You know? So mm -hmm. if I stayed solely with comics, uh, even as inking, you know, as things change or I don't get a gig, I'm, I'm kind of screwed. So I do commissions. I do uh, game art for many different games, including card games or uh, role-playing games. It's just whatever comes across my desk. Uh, I do children's books. Um, I do comic books. I do fantasy books. Um, I'm working on my own game, Life of the Party. We want to make into a game. Um, I just finished, uh, I I've got the art done for another game of my own, which is based on, um, the game of war. So we did a, a version of it. It was cats versus aliens and the game of war has modifier <laughs> cards. So now I want to do a sequel, which is pirate bears and, uh, uh, Viking penguins. So that sounds like that almost sounds like the the role playing game equivalent of uh, of what Alterna's got over there with the mighty mascots with the uh, with the cereal box characters uh -huh. coming to life. Now, ha have you have you thought about it? You mentioned inking, yeah, and and doing all these different things. Do you consider yourself a penciler, an inker, an illustrator? Just an overall, you do all of that. How much how much do you farm out to other people, and how much of things like life of the party they're being is all you it's all me actually i don't i farm out very little the only thing i actually farm out is what's called flatting and that's where someone will put a base color on and and i have two two flatters that work for me um but everything else the layout um design work stuff like that it's all it's all me um i learned that the more you could the more you can do the more value you have as a creator and so um, I was over the years, you know, I worked as an art director for many years for a, a firm, not even in any of the fantasy, you know, not in any of the gaming industry or anything else. I was just an art director. And I took that time to learn everything I could, how the press works, how the printing works, how the back end and the, and the prep. And so when I was ready to start doing my own books, I already knew how to do it. It wasn't like I had to farm something out. Um, and I'm always trying to go, well, what more can I learn? What more can I do? Now, are there opportunities here to expand? You talk about not hiring very many people, but if this thing gets big enough and you have the game and you have you know the various different iterations and this thing becomes an intellectual property with licensing and all of these other things, are, are you looking at what you're going to need to do to expand? Are you making a plan for the scalability of all of this? Or is this always going to be a one-man shop? Well, I, I do look at the plan of, of it escalating. 
Um, and I have resources. It's just I haven't had to use them yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's OK. I mean, I've got I have five kids. They're studying different things to help them out. And some of them want to kind of like take over the family business, not draw so much. Which should be nice. I think having someone to run it will be nice eventually, you know, so I can just be the old man that draws. Um, but uh, it, it's just a work in progress. It, it's we'll see where it goes. Uh, I've been approached by different companies. I'm really protective of properties. Sure. Um, so it takes me a lot to go, okay, I'll move it on. It's just also the return. You know, when you sell with a publisher and I, people don't realize this, you only get between five and 10% of MSRP. And if that book sells for 13 bucks, that's a dollar 30 that you get. And you don't get that dollar 30 per book until after everything is paid out, you know, all the, the stuff. So the creator kind of gets screwed in the process because they're the last one to get paid. Right. Uh, and the advances aren't what they, you know, used to be unless you're like JK Rowling, you still have to do all the work to go out and meet the different people. You got to go out and set up your own appointments. And my thought was, well, heck, if I got to do all that work still, and I'm only getting 10% at the most, I don't like that deal. So switching it out, where I run my own books, now I get 100% of what comes back and then I can decide how that's going to go. And I'm moving more books on my own than I would have ever done through a publisher. Right. Now, you mentioned J.K. Rowling, and, and I've seen George R.R. R. Martin show up in your strip as a character, just as a, as a cameo there. Looking at what's been going on online with the blowback against them, have you have you come across any situation where anything in your strips kind of spark that same kind of uh, back and forth discussion? Is like, well, you probably shouldn't have done this, or, or do you worry about that kind of thing? Is, has the has the response to your strip been overall positive, or it's have been, you had those those? It's been positive. Uh, I think everybody gets. You know, when you put something out there, regardless of what it is, you're going to upset somebody. <laughs> you can't. And the bigger you get, the more you're going to upset. Yeah. So I'm small and, and I'll take being small. But, um, you know, some people go, well, I don't get it. And that's fine. You don't get it. That's OK. I'm not going to explain my joke to you or I'm not going to explain the strip. That's not my role. Um, if you get it, great. If you get the deeper story into it, even better. Uh, my goal though, was to just tell something fun. Um, and I realized, yes, yeah, someone's going to take offense to something. I try to censor myself before I publish certain things. Sometimes I'll, I'll look at the piece and I'll go, all right, am I going to get nailed for this or not? <laughs> and, and I'll, uh, you know, and some of them are not my fault. You know, there was one that I did that I held on to for like, probably a month and a half almost two months oh because it because it dealt with a lynch going to a city that was um quarantined asking to help raise his undead army and i kept thinking oh i'm gonna upset somebody someone because it was right in the middle of the beginning of COVID. so and i had drawn this before the COVID thing started and so you know there was nothing i could do about it yeah but i just kept pushing it back and then when i felt that the moment was right that people could laugh about it and stuff then i then we posted it um but i haven't had that blowback major um occasionally i've had a little bit but at the same time you know i'm gonna get that uh i've talked to other cartoonists um who have it way worse. Uh, uh, someone that drew, was it, um, they were talking about the cartoon, uh, Luann. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they drew one without uh, the dog didn't have a leash. And he said that, that, that they got like 700 comments of just hate on why that dog didn't have a leash. Oh my. <laughs> and so I think, people will complain or be angry about almost anything that they want to be angry about. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. 
And and my deal is, is I'll defuse it. It's like, you know what, I'm sorry that you got offended or it wasn't my intent to hurt your feelings, but I'm not changing it. It's just, you know, I, I understand. I, I have no idea what got you to that point to make you hurt like that. Um, but I come from a different point of view too. Now, does any of that feedback, positive or negative, make it somehow into a story thread in, in into any of the strips? Do you, you take oh, yeah. that comments and, and turn it into something? Oh yeah, I turn it all the time. You know, and and, and we also have internet trolls that, that walk the dungeon. <laughs> you know, it's it's sometimes hard to laugh at yourself. Yeah. And realize, but if you can do it, it's you can get through things a little bit better, and and realizing that that tomorrow is a different day. Now, I don't plan to do anything that's going to be super offensive in my strips, anyways. It's not my goal, you know, and so I I choose to be very careful about that and just stick within the characters and the range of characters and how they interact with each other, um, and and leave it at that now from the time uh from the time that you have the idea to the time it actually comes out you said you mentioned you held on to this one for a while but in the normal course of doing business with this from idea to writing it to drawing it to inking coloring and posting about how long does it take to do one of these i'm about two weeks uh i have about two weeks worth of stock um, it takes me, I can draw one in 15 to half, 15 minutes to a half hour. And then I can color it, uh, within 15 to a half hour as well. So it takes about an hour to draw one complete and, and get it in there. Um, once I've got the idea, it just, it flows really, really quickly. Um, sequential ones, they take a little bit longer. Uh, they take about a half hour to, to 45 minutes. So, uh, I was trained to be quick as an artist. Yeah. What is, what is your training? What's your background? Where do you, you, know, you do school for this or you're self-taught or I'm self-taught. And my first job was a cartoonist for a print shop and we were doing 75 to hundred cartoons a week. Oh, wow. And, um, a lot of spot art, a lot of that was spot art. And, uh, the guy that was there, he had graduated, um, I don't remember where he graduated, but he had his degree in graphics design, who the owner, and he trained us how to design. So uh, I got most of my schooling on, on the job was where I learned how to do everything. Out of all of the stuff that you've done so far, what would you say has been the most rewarding and contrast that with what what was the one where you learned the most about yourself as an artist so huh i know that's one of those 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 job interview questions that really you know kind of where do you see yourself in five years but you know it's it i'm curious about where no, no, where I, artists where artists are and where they've where they you know their journey as far as the, you know the learning curve and and the zig when you should have zagged and and that kind of thing have there been those moments well there's always those moments i wasn't even i started late i was in my 20s when i like 26 when i started doing this professionally i wasn't happy with my art until i was like at 31 32 mm. and then um you know even then even now uh, I'll be 50 next year and it's going through another stage of, of development. So you're constantly always refining and, and growing if you allow yourself to do that. Um, I think the most defining moment for me um, that really kind of put things on perspective was I was, um, so I do lots of prints, like the one behind you that you see, and it's just ideas that I create. And it's, it's like story ideas. I put them down on a piece of paper so I can come back to them later. And uh, we donated about 17 of them to a women's shelter. And I didn't think anything of it until one day I get an email from a fan talking about how she ended up in a shelter one night, not by choice, and what got her and her kids through it was she goes, I recognized the art 
and they went through each picture with her kids. And she goes, that's what got us through the night was looking at all the art. Wow. And I said, wow. You know, and I didn't realize what kind of an influence that had had. Um, so that was a defining moment of what I wanted to accomplish as a creator. Um, you know, if you focus solely on you, um, you can get very inward and self-centered. And so I just kind of stopped doing that to a degree. I, I, I like, you know, what can I give back? Uh, I'm working on a piece right now that has really stretched me. Um, and I can't show it yet. It'll, it'll, you will see it in a couple of weeks. Um, but it has been one of the most rewarding pieces I've ever done. Um, and, and seeing it there. Uh, it, it's projects usually not within the industry, the, 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 the entertainment industry. It's projects that are more on a um, personal ground level. Uh, I had the opportunity to design the entire uh, artwork for two. Um, so we have a, a, our band at one of the local high schools has got like almost 300 kids in it. And I was able to do all the art three years in a row for this band on their floor. Now, when you, you go out there and you look on the football field and you go, wow, you know, you can see it. And that was tough because I had to learn how to, to build something that was going to be 50 yards worth of artwork. And so it, it, it's, it's those challenges that I've really, really enjoyed. Now, uh, Mr. CCDV in the chat says, my son is 16, trying to sell his art. He will not illustrate my children's book manuscripts for some reason. I think he's talented, but he keeps saying he wants to do anime as a career. When you, I don't know how much you've had people contact you. How do I get started? How do I get started? So how does somebody get started? What's, what's, where do people go first? I mean, you're self-taught. You've got the Kubert School out there. You know, there are a lot of people that kind of do the apprentice type of, of arrangement. What, how, do, how does somebody get started in all of this? Well, most of the time when, when people come up to me with their kids and they ask me, especially at shows, you know, my kid's so talented. Um, I kind of ignore the parent and I talk to the kid. You know, <laughs> the kid's more important. What does the kid want to do? Yeah. And, and I tell the kids, you know, they go, well, I love drawing anime. Well, draw anime. If that's what you love to do, you got to draw what you love. You can't just draw what you, what everyone wants you to draw. Otherwise you get in a rut um, and you, you lose the, the passion for it and you walk away from it. Um, at 16, you know, taking a couple of art classes is good in high school, you know, just to kind of get your feet wet. Um, this industry, it doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter how you learn. Yeah. What matters is how much drive you have. If it's something that you really want to do, you'll figure out a way. School was never an option for me. I just could never afford it. Um, so I had to figure it out on my own. So I started going to conventions, started selling my own artwork, started you know, talking to different artists. Um, the internet. Oh, wow. Talk about a powerful tool to, to get you out there. We just started doing a, a weekly comic, you know, update three days a week. And that opens so many doors. Even Life of the Party still opens doors. Uh, it was Pascal Campone that, that I think gave me the best advice I've ever had. He said, post one drawing every day, whether it's a sketch or something, because you never know who's going to be looking at that drawing. And I've met art directors that way. I've met other pros. And I think that's, you know, for a, a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, you know, they'll figure out what they, what they want to do. But when the conventions start happening again, go to the conventions, start talking to the people that are in the industry, and that'll give you a much better idea of how to get into it. And you'll start to realize that it's a lot more than just, school or, or whatever that there's a lot of I've got to push myself now what about uh, what about social media because you know that that for us uh, here it's a, you know it's a marketing tool it's a way of getting our stuff out there but if you're posting like you say if you're posting every day social media would have to figure into it but I've seen a lot of comments from people who are saying that it's kind of tough to get your material in front of editors who are using block bots, you know, and, and well, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to block this whole group of people because they're following this one particular creator and it's making it more difficult to break into that. Not necessarily with the big two Marvel and DC, but just in, in, in general, uh, 
I'm trying to put my stuff out there and the people that I want to see it are not going to see it. Is social media good, bad, just another way? How, how do you make that work when people are, are doing that kind of thing? Social media is a tool in itself. It's just, you use it all, you know, don't, I hate Twitter, but I use Twitter. <laughs> um, I like Instagram, Deviant's good. Uh, I even Facebook. Uh, you need to learn to separate you uh, from their social media. So I don't, I can be political, but I'm political in my own area, which yeah. is my neighborhood. That's it. And on the, on the stage, you don't need to see, you know, uh, you, you have to look at going, I'm going to open my artwork to everybody, you know, create a safe place for people to come. Um, when you're looking at, at trying to publish with only two publishers or three publishers or whatever, and you're going, well, I hope, well, Maybe that's not where you need to start looking. I think the decision is, is what do I want to do as a creator? I wanted to be my own publisher. I want to, I like being an independent. I like running my own books. So I don't feel any constraint uh, with social media at all. I don't feel that jobs are being lost to me or anything else uh, because I'm completely in control of my career. I get to draw what I want uh, and people come out of the woodwork all the time and go, Hey, I got a project. You want to work on it? Sure. Let's talk. And, and these are my rates and I make it easy for them. And, and so it allows me, I think it's really, really beneficial. Now, if you don't want to, to go that route and you only want to work for a publisher, well, then you got to play by those publishers rules, but things are changing in the industry so quickly that I don't even think they're going to, they can even keep up. Um, there's so much talent out there. It is so competitive. So it's almost easier to just walk your own path, but, yeah. you know, create your own, your own goal. If you love drawing anime and you want to draw manga, well, draw a manga series, start doing your own comic. And if you gather, let's say you get 10,000 fans and then you decide, you know what? I could run a Kickstarter. I've, I've, I've published a uh, hundred pages. I'm going to run a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. And you get a thousand of those fans that pay you 20 bucks a piece to run your thing. Now you're making money on your own book and your own idea. So, I mean, it's so much, it's way better than it was in the nineties. You know, in the nineties, we had to play with the publisher's rules. You don't have to play with those rules anymore. You can go out. The only offside to that though, is, is we are so close to our fans now that we like we've never been. So you have to learn to be considerate and, and kind of step back and, and realize that multiple different personalities are going to reach out to you. Yeah. Now, the other thing, too, is you mentioned you mentioned the, the this this opening things up in terms of opportunities. Uh, I've seen with uh, not just the big publishers, but with a number of the of the crowdfunded books, artists from all over the world who are oh, yeah. getting involved in this and you know the philippines south america uh, europe are are we are we in that point now where where the internet has democratized the industry enough that somebody like a travis hansen can do a book in hungary or yeah or should is the market mainly japan and the united states still or are those opportunities elsewhere in the world? And does does posting every day make it easier for people to see you for that? Or do you have to go looking for that? Uh, posting every day makes your fans, it, you condition your fan base to know that there's going to be something new every single day. You know, and that's what you're doing. You're conditioning a fan base to realize, oh, he's posting every single day. And you have to kind of stick to that gun. The thing with... Uh, with the internet allowing us to publish from all over the world and, and, and publish the key to success there is fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter where you get published. If you can't fulfill, you know, you'll kill your Kickstarter chances in your next one in, in the process. So that's like super important. So um, now the thing that kind of hurts uh, the market is um, mailing. So, you know, in the U.S., it's easy to mail in the U.S., um, but the minute you start going overseas, all of a sudden, like a book to Australia 
where mailing might have been seven bucks in the US could get close to 30 to $40 just to send this one book. So I think we're not quite there yet. We haven't found a way to make shipping economical to get our books all over the world right. for our fan base. Um, but I don't think, I think we're getting there. So I and saw, I, do th- uh, I think it was, I think it was John Malin who was talking about uh, setting his uh, shipping rates so that the domestic, the U.S. rates were a little bit higher than they needed to be in order to help offset the costs for the international shipping. And I think that's maybe a piece of the solution. But you're we right. Do it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like that somebody has quite figured out this is exactly this is how we this is how we take care of this one challenge. I guess digital would come into that. But that's Digital still not, helps. That, yeah, that's still not shipping a book though. There's still people that want to have the book and they want to hold it in their hands and and turn the pages. That is is all of your stuff when you're when you're working on this. Are you working completely in a digital environment, or do you do you do any physical drawing and scanning, or what's your process? I still have there? Tradi- I still do traditional illustration where I have got to scan and stuff, and I'll do the color. Um, I love doing Copic work. Um, so I have my whole set of Copics, but now for almost everything that I do, I have a Cintiq that I draw on. You use the same techniques that you would if you were drawing traditionally. It's just the papers will uh, screen instead of paper. Um, and uh, you can do control Z, which is awesome. You can keep <laughs> going back if you want to, to fix something. Uh, so I, I, I definitely work more of a traditional mode uh, digitally, but when I work on my Cintiq, I'm almost shoot 30 to 40% faster. And so I can get so much more done. Yeah. So, so going this direction was so much easier. Um, and it's important if, if you want to, you know, that's something else. If someone wants to get in the industry, you, you need to know what people are using. You know, I use an iPad pro when I, I go and, and travel and, and I draw on that. It's just as robust. Um, I use a Cintiq at home. Uh, the programs, I still use the Adobe programs, but I, I draw mainly in Clip Studio Paint, which is just amazing. Uh, Procreate's another really, really good one. Um, there's so much out there and, and you've got to learn to experiment. Now, the last two I mentioned, you can get really cheaply right now, which is awesome. Whereas Adobe, you're paying a monthly subscription of almost 50, 60 bucks a month. Yeah. But you know, the way it's, it's like I said, there's so many more open doors and the kids that are coming up are, you know, you watch some of these kids draw and and where they're going with some of their artwork. It's amazing to see, you know, the difference, you know, where when I started, it was all paper, pen and ink and paper. Um, I still do some of that because people want originals. There's something about having that original piece, but you can sell that original for three times as much now because you have a lot less. Don't yeah. flood the market. <laughs> <laughs> yes, really. Now, do you have plans to do anything outside of the D&D realm? I mean, because all of this RPG stuff, what about uh, something like uh, the old Atari games, for example? You know, a, a video game space uh, where maybe you're doing a daily strip based on asteroids or missile command or you know, something something more sci-fi as opposed to fantasy. Are, are you... I don't know. I might, I might throw fi- sci-fi into it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Star Wars has popped up into life of the party before, sure. you know, you got, you got to deal with some pop culture reference. Uh, red shirts are always showing up occasionally, you know, they, they're going to die. Um, if, if the opportunity arises, yeah, I, I, I don't limit myself to just one thing. That's a date. Like I said, it's a dangerous uh, operating mode. If you only do one thing, you got to be open. I mean, I like flying rock whales. That's why I draw them. Uh, (laughs) You know, as much as I like RPG, I don't focus solely on D and D because I think if you only did one thing, you run out of material rather quickly. Right. So we try to, I try to incorporate as much as I can. Now, what is the what is the next thing for you? What are you working on? You mentioned you've got something that you're going to be able to reveal here in a couple of weeks. As far as uh, Kickstarter being Life of the Party, what's next? I think my next Kickstarter will be Life of the Party. It'll be the fourth book. And that'll be sometime in the fall. 
I don't know when it'll, it'll just be sometime in the fall. I've got to finish a couple things first before I can get there. Uh, kind of empty my plate a little bit. Um, I definitely want to do another no mercy game, which is my own, my own game. I want to put life of the party as a game. Uh, I've got actually the game mechanics all written out. Um, draw, I've drawn a portion of the boards. You know, I, I know what I want to do with it. It's now just pricing it out and making sure that I can make that work on my end. Um, I've wanted to do miniatures for a while. You know, I think they'd be fun, but I'm just not there yet. I, I think that right now, like I said, my next goal will be life of the party. Okay. And uh, for anyone who's interested in uh, finding out more, the website is Bean Leaf Press. And there it is there in the screen. And you're also on Twitter and Instagram, you said? Yeah, Travis J. Hansen. All right, Travis. Well, thank you very much for being here today, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. And a couple of little pieces of housekeeping for those of you who are new to the program. We do invite you to subscribe, hit the notification bell. Uh, all of you in the chat, thank you very much for participating. If you are listening or watching in replay, feel free to leave a comment. And uh, if you are interested in swag, uh, we do have a discount code over at SuperheroStuff.com, 10% off when you use the promo code SciFi for me. 10. And I want to thank Travis Hansen for joining us today and thank you all for watching. And we will be back with more Live from the Bunker on Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. Thanks for watching, folks. This has been a presentation of Sci Fi for Me Radio, copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.